Today's episode of the Brackish Podcast is from a recent Facebook Live recording. If you'd like to see this episode and see our faces, you can go to Facebook and check out the Brackish Podcast and check out this entire full episode. But what you're about to hear is an edited version posted later on. Any references to pictures, you can find that on our Facebook Live video. For now, here's the Brackish Podcast. This is the Brackish Podcast Live Edition. We are your hosts, Knock, Lynn, Cliffies. And we are quarantined, and we're still going to bring you these great stories of New Orleans and South Louisiana. And we're going to call some people out today, make some new friends. And if you'd like to uh, make friends with us and comment on the page, come and do it. Lynn, how are you? You look, you look, you look so colorful. Do I look glowy? You, yeah. The hubs help me set up all the lighting, so I look exquisite. Yeah. It is a definite, <laughs> a definite color scheme is is there. It's awesome. It is. It is. Yeah. And it's Cliff, do, do you have some hassle in your castle? Where are you? Is this your front lawn? You're coming live. Yeah. I'm at my summer home. I figured if I was going to social distance in Scotland at my summer home at Biffington Estates, part four. This is number four. So, this is just your weekend summer home, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we're just, we can't really go anywhere right now, so we're stuck here. <laughs> it's terrible. Uh, but the only thing we're watching right now is The Crown. Do y'all watch The Crown? Mm-mm. I watched a little bit. Not no. yet. Well, I just think when I watch The Crown, I always think of Mrs. Doubtfire when I hear the Queen speak. Oh, hello! <laughs> Was it run by fruiting? <laughs> uh, yeah, you so started, what, You started like a, a, a team, right? Yeah, so we've been here and I've been here with a couple of my, my mates. They drop in and out, social distance on the front lawn, and we started a uh, polo team. Since I've been watching The Crown, uh, one of the princes, William Charles, I don't know, there's like 20 of them in the show. They had a polo team and they always played on the front lawn. So I figured why not play on my front lawn? And so we made a team, we're gonna challenge the queen. Uh, the team is called Biff's Buffs. <laughs> and uh, which also, we also double as a male dance group, not a big deal. So we're gonna hit that, hit the ground running once the social distancing thing kicks, or, Let's down a little bit so they, they lessen the order or lighten the order, as you say. But uh, we're going to sell some merch soon. Um, it's going to be called Buff Stuff. So I figured who wouldn't like Buff Stuff? You know what I mean? So just look out for that. It's coming soon. Always love some Buff Stuff for sure. Uh, we just learned uh, we made a connection in the realm of podcasts. There is another brackish podcast that's out there they talk about uh spiritual things uh we'd like to reach out an olive branch for sure and say hey how are you doing thanks for uh having the same name as us yeah with their crystals and all that whatever they're talking about over there a lot of spirituality and lynn it kind of goes with what your story is give like a little preview of what that is lynn's gonna be uh telling her story. Uh, yeah, in just a minute, I'm gonna talk about the Mad Stone of Ashery that supposedly 
would cure things like rabies and gout and gangrene and things like that. What do you mean supposedly? Like, did it actually work? We got some... I mean, that's up to the, the viewer to decide at the end, isn't it? There's a lot of people that believe in the stones and the power, right? Well, and I think now, especially things like this, where it's home, it, it, what it really is, is a home remedy. And do you believe in the home remedy? Do you trust in the home remedy? I, if it comes to rabies, I think I might trust a doctor <sighs> more than a stone. Before we tell our first story and our uh, second and third story, we're gonna tell you how we do things here. One of us researches a story and then the other two react to it. So when Lynn's gonna tell her story, uh, Cliff and I know nothing about it. And then nope. when uh, Cliff tells his, Lynn and I know zero about it. And the same goes for when I tell my story. Uh, and we're gonna do something different this time. We don't usually do this. We usually uh, drink at our leisure. Uh, when we do the podcast together without social distancing, but we're going to take a, a, a shot and we hope you will join us in a uh, slight evening drink as we uh, toast to the Braggus podcast. Whoop. Tell me all about these, this stone. It's more than one stone. Right. Well, that's the thing is that we will end up telling the story of the mad stone of Ashery, but there has been, there have, there have been, many mad stones throughout the years. Uh, mad stones are basically a rock that used to be highly valued before you did have modern medicine to cure things like rabies or snake bites or spider bites or things like that. Uh, what they would do is uh, they'd actually work again and again. So think about it. You got one stone that would cure all sorts of elements. You could use it again and again at your leisure. Sounds really great, right? Definitely. Absolutely. Problem, problem with this is that they're not so hard. Uh, they're not so easy to come by. Rather, you had to either find one or receive one. You could not buy or sell it because if you bought or sold a mad stone, that would negate any of the healing power that it had. So, to find one, what you had to do was uh, kill an animal, which again. Going back, whoa, going back. This is before doctors, so it's before grocery stores as well. So you're thinking about hunter-gatherer kind of things and people who still lived off the land. So these stones actually come from animals. They come from the intestines of things like deer or cows or camels or elephants or things like that. And they were formed similar to a pearl in an oyster. The animal's intestine has a little bit of fiber or fur or hair in it, and it would wrap this calcium or mineral salt deposit around that little fiber, layer after layer, ring after ring, like a pearl or the rings of a tree, and uh, would eventually either pass it or the hunter would find it. It's a kidney stone from an animal. And people are like, ooh, rubbing stuff on it, like all over the place. It didn't go through that branch of the digestive tract. It went through the um, solid waste branch. Gotcha. Right. The thing about these stones is that um, it actually believed, they believed that it would give power to animals as well. So an animal that carried a mad stone would be twice as hard to kill. So a hunter would kind of know ahead of time if it was an easy kill, maybe they wouldn't dig through the intestines. But if it was a very difficult kill, this animal must have extra power. Let me look especially hard for it. 
This is also back in the days when people process the entire animal. So they're naturally digging through intestines because that's what you would use to make sausage with. So if you're going to clean it out anyway, look for some. What do these look so, like? They've got a knob. Uh, I gotcha. You, Hold up. Yeah, like uh, imagine uh, your wife coming home and be like, hey, I know your back has been killing you, but I just talked to this guy and he's got this stone that came from the the butt of a hog. Here it is. <laughs> this Ooh. is one. Now that to me looks like straight up poop. That, that, is, that is one of the magical stones? It is, it's one of them. Uh, they do vary a lot in appearance. So let's see, hold on. Yeah, yeah ah, there a, we go. You eat a bear claw hole and just pooped it out. That's <laughs> that one looks more smoother. I like that that grayish one. Yeah, I, I, the mm -hmm. smoother it gets, the more likely I am to rub it on my body. Well, so they do vary a lot. <laughs> they vary a lot in appearance, like that. And it does. Maybe you don't rub this one on your body. How how big are these? They are for the most part palm size. But in general, the more white the stone would have, the more power it would have. So you see that line running through that stone right there would be an indicator that it's got more power. These would be very, very powerful. This one got marbling to it. These would be powerful. This is actually the one we're gonna talk about. And all the pictures I've seen of the Madstone of Vashri are completely black and shiny but it also didn't behave or you didn't uh, use it the same way you would use all the other rocks or mad stones rather. Oh, so, so this was a specific stone. The mad stone of Ashley was a very specific stone. It kind of looks like dragon glass. Some of them look like dragon glass. Some of them look like <laughs> male artifacts. Oh, well, in so the way these things are supposed to have worked is through um, osmosis, where you'd put it on a wound and it would draw things out. Osmosis meaning moving, moving fluid from one body or object to another, right? All right? So this is the description of how you would use one of these mad stones from a 1958 publication called Mad Stones and Twisters from the Texas Folklore Society. It says the stone was moistened in warm milk. Water could not be trusted. Da -da -da. and applied to a wound. If it did not adhere, the person being treated was presumed to not have the virus. To do any good, it had to stick to the flesh for a long while, drawing the poison out of the wound and absorbing it into its own porous substance. After it had soaked up a certain amount of poison, it would no longer adhere. Then it would be put into a vessel of warmer hot milk, and the milk would turn green from the poison being released by the mad zone. Some operators let the milk boil and consider the thumping of the madstone on the bottom of the vessel to be a good sign. Its pores having been cleansed, the madstone will be applied again to the wound until it no longer adheres. So, Ooh. boil it in milk. This was a rechargeable uh, remedy? Like, mm -hmm. with milk and people passing around? With milk, yeah. Where is well, and that's right now? That, so the thing that we're talking about is with the family that inherited it, which is how a lot of people supposedly got their stones. Obviously, a hunter found, killed an animal. Obviously, a hunter found an animal. But you can't buy or sell it because that takes away its healing power. So it was either passed down as a family heirloom or it was given as a gift. 
most people got them as an heirloom. And there are even stories of fathers breaking up the stone into smaller pieces to give to each of his children. And those stones, little fragments, still having the same power as the whole stone did. How did they find this out? Like, how did they, like, hey, when I wrap this thing in milk and I put it on a wound it, or a poison even, it'll help? It goes back before we wrote things down. A lot of times people figured things out by accident and then you try to replicate it. If you think about like finding a new plant, what tribes would do when they found a new plant and they didn't know if it were edible or not, they would find the strongest young man in the village and they would do as much to that plant as they could. Like they would dry, dry it, they would grind it, they would boil it, they would cook it and let him eat it. And if he was fine, then they would do the exact same thing, but remove the last step and then feed it to him again and go on like that until they figured out even in its raw state, this plant is either poisonous or not poisonous. That's how a lot of people figured out a lot of those things. Jeez, like that would be the terriblest thing to be the healthy guy in the tribe. The <laughs> strongest and healthiest. You got like, another plant? Ah! <laughs> how many? <laughs> <laughs> But of this rock, I mean, like it supposedly cured rabies and gangrene and gout and uh, hydrophobia. I didn't know this. Hydrophobia is actually a, a symptom of rabies where you are irrationally terrified of water. Hmm. Who do? So out of all these stones in the world, Bashery is completely like famous because of how unique it is, right? I know about the Mad Stone of Ashtray because the famous New Orleans chef, John Fultz, his father actually used the Mad Stone uh, about a hundred and some years ago and told his son, John Fultz, about it. And he wrote about it in the Encyclopedia of Cajun and Creole Cooking. Do tell, what how, what did that say? Well, so to find out about this particular stone, you actually have to go back to when it was given to residents of Louisiana. So we're going all the way back to Vashery. We're going back almost 200 years to two families, right? The Gravois and the Webers. Gravois being French, Webers being German makes complete sense in South Louisiana, especially when you put them where they are in Vashery, which is along the German coast. It's called the Zalmans now, which means the Germans. It used to be called the Golden Coast because you could get so many things along that particular river, coast, lake, uh, estuary. There's a lot of trade involved and things like that. So this is going back 200 years when there were these two families were the only two European families in the place we now know as Bashery, Louisiana. This is a little bit above New Orleans where it's kind of starting to become half prairie, half swamp most of Louisiana is very flat. So you start off with swamp at the bottom, you get to prairie, and then you get to North Louisiana where people are Arkansas and Texas more than New Orleans. And then you get to the foothills of the Ozarks. But where we are in Bashery, uh, these people lived along the river surrounded by Native American tribes who really thrived off of that land. So they knew a lot of home remedies and things like that. One day, when Miss Bravois went into her family's vegetable garden to harvest cabbages, she was bitten by a snake that was poisonous. She drew her hands back. There were the two telltale fang marks. There was actually a fang still left in her hand, according to legend and lore. And her hand immediately started to swell up. So the family knew exactly what was happening. Uh, 
they rushed her inside, they tried to make her well, they tried to suck the toxins out and that wasn't working. Sooner than later, one of their friends who was Native American happened to come in. So I'm going to read the, the, the account as the family tells it. This is the family who still possesses the stone. This is the Gravois family. Okay. One of their family members put the, uh, the whole incident out on his own personal reps website is Richard Gravois, Gravois.com. It has not been updated since uh, 2012. So I don't know if Mr. Richard Gravois is still Thanks, posting Richard. it around. Thank you. Right. But what he says of the family incident, how it was passed down to him. One day, Madame Gravois went to her vegetable garden for a cabbage. Suddenly, she jumped back in fright as a deadly snake struck at her hand. Two telltale fang pricks, and the serpent was gone. Mrs. Gravois ran into the log cabin house, calling for her husband. The hand began to swell. The Webbers and the Gravois made her as comfortable as they could, but she steadily grew worse. Suddenly, into the small clearing around the house walked the Native American clutching a small piece of black stone. In sign language, he indicated that if they would take him to the woman, he would cure her. Inside the cabin, they watched as the Native applied the small stone to the marks left by the snake's fang. The stone remained there as if securely fastened, which people have said before, you could put the stone on your hand and turn your hand upside down and the stone would still stick to it if there was poison in the wound. Seconds passed, minutes, seven hours. All sat as if hypnotized. Finally, Mrs. Gravois' eyes opened. She became noticeably better. At last, she sat up. The stone fell from her hand. The Indian picked it up, asked for clear water in a basin, and dropped the stone gently into it. It bubbled for a minute. Then he removed it and departed. So the legend goes, Mrs. Gravois' cure was complete. The story continues one year later. This time, the Native American came down with a malady, some kind of internal illness not connected with a snake or an animal bite, evidently. Now it was the turn of the French people to help him. The cure was not so quick. He remained with the Gravois and the Webbers for a long period until he was well. Before departing, he gave them a token of gratitude a shiny black stone about three inches long, as big around as a man's thumb, they say. He told them to keep it as a treasure, never to sell it. It would always work for them and theirs. So that is the story that was told to uh, the Gravois family. And that's the story that's been passed down to them. And people still have it. The Webbers and the Gravois, I think, still have both a little piece of it. Hey. I know. And it's been used according to the family. It has been used between 2,000 and 5,000 times, depending on what article you read and what family member you've talked to. That there are between two and 5,000 people that could attest to this one stone curing all sorts of bites. And if you think about South Louisiana, there's a lot of there's a lot of rural farmland where people would naturally get bitten by things. So there was an, an occasion for this kind of thing to come up and use it so often. But as recently as John Fulce's father, John Fulce was born in 1945 or 46. And he said when his father was 12, he was bitten by a snake and used this exact same stone. And he was always skeptical. His father was always skeptical of the stone until his, he got bit by the snake. His father took him to the Gravois family. They put the stone on his hand and it was cured. 
and told the story to his son, John Falls, with such sincerity that the man put it in his encyclopedia of Cajun and Creole culture. Wow. Yeah. And we got to get that stone. We got to get that stone. Yeah. Maybe I mean, not that stone. Yeah. I just don't, I don't know. I mean, if I got bit by a snake and someone said, hey, look, I got these stones, I'd be like, get out of my face, suck this venom out, pee on me. I don't, whatever we need to do. <laughs> I'll take a stone over pee any day. But what is the stone? I mean, oh, I'm holding stones in my hand. That's going to help. I don't know. Well, I mean, the thing is made from mineral salt and calcium. So it makes sense that it does draw liquid out. But that's that's a stretch. I mean, you saw all the stones that I showed you examples of. Only a couple of them actually looked porous. Uh, the mad stone of Vashery looks solid. It doesn't look porous at all. But people have for hundreds of years said that this, uh, it works. It does definitely look like dragon glass, like no doubt. Yeah. I mean, maybe gator glass. Uh, right, right, right. My family is 126th in line for some Sicilian throne, and I always joke that I'm a ride back as the mother of gators. Ooh, that'd be good. 120 what now? I am the 126th in line for a Sicilian royal family throne or title or something like that. I feel like if you throw 125 of them in a snake pit and you're the only one who has the stone. the stone. You know who I need to make friends with? It's Carol Baskin. Did <laughs> she just feed them all to her tigers? Yes, yes. Oh. But uh, a thousand times it's been used, you think, right? At least 2,000. That was the lowest number I had seen. Dang. And I mean, John Fultz isn't a joke of a career either. The man is a solid career. And for him to say, my grandfather said it worked, it, it lends some credibility. Some of the sources I had were, most of them were older. Most of them were before things like antibiotics and penicillin and things where you had a regular consistent way to cure this kind of stuff so you're thinking like written history somewhere between 1600s 1700s 1800s before modern medicine catches up is when you find a lot of this Ooh, one of them is really good let me uh according to miss catherine cole the stone adheres to the skin and then falls away as a leech sucked full Hmm. So there's a little bit of poetic license in some of these stories, for sure. That was from the Times Picayune, by the way, which was the still is the major news publication in Louisiana or the New Orleans area, at least. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to see it. I just. <laughs> I gotta see it work. Oh, <laughs> <I, laughs> may go get yourself bit. And go down to Vashri and then you got to find a family name. Well, there's no, I mean, I can't, I got to, I have to be in Vashri for it to happen. I can't get bitten and drive down there. I'll die on the way there. You could get rabies. That's a long incubation period. That's what, one to three months before rabies shows up? Rabies sounds really fun in a car. <laughs> <laughs> but no. That, that is the mad stone of Ashley. It's cured two to 5,000 people of things like snake bites and spider bites and gangrene from steer stabbing.
We are going to the next story. Great job, Lynn. I loved it. That Matt Stone did look legit. The picture you showed us, it did look pretty legit. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So, boys, ready? We could take a shot. One, two, three. We hope at home that you're joining us. I am going to tell you the story of. what happened in Marksville, 1947, okay? This is the morning of October 23rd. I wanna give a shout out to my mom because that is her birthday, October 23rd. Holla. So 1947, uh, this was happening in Marksville. It happens a lot, believe it or not, uh, but what happened in Marksville was pretty unique because it's never happened like this again, other than in the town of Marksville, Louisiana. So I'm gonna share my screen with you. And so uh, we can learn where Marksville even is, you know, if on a map of Louisiana, you can see it right here. There's Marksville, kind of above Baton Rouge, a little west. It's a little bit Mississippi. Yeah, and then also, you, if you've gone to the Paragon Casino, right? I've won money at the Paragon Casino. You know where Marksville is. I know. This place. When you get lost leaving Tunica Falls, you end up at the Paragon Casino. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing I can, GPS, GPS says, this there is the only place in to go. <laughs> You know what? When we ended up at the Paragon Casino accidentally at like 10 o'clock at night, they gave us a really nice room. They upgraded us. Oh, that's So, shout out to the Paragon Casino in Marksville. I think my husband won like $300 the next day on the credits they gave us. Very nice. So, I wanted to give them a shout out because obviously, because of quarantine, Paragon Casino is closed. Uh, So, Marksville, this one's for you. All right, but... This instance of what's happened in Marksville has happened in a lot of other places. So just imagine 1947, okay, you are living in Marksville and then all of a sudden something starts falling out of the sky. And I'm gonna have my friend here, Eleanor Grimion, tell you what happened to her. It had to be a either a nice-sized catfish or a, a satellite because when it hit the ground, it collapsed for a while. And I called my mother and my sister said, the fish are falling, but I don't know from where. So people were running along Main Street, which is right in front of my house, and uh, several professional men were going to work, and <laughs> the fish were falling all around them. Eleanor was there when fish were falling out of the sky in Marksville, Louisiana. Oh my God. 
This happened uh, for probably, you know, 10 minutes or so. Uh, fish were just falling out of the sky. No one knew where it was coming from at all, okay? Uh, and this is uh, a little bit is in Weird Louisiana, a book that, uh, you know, I, I found. It's pretty cool. Uh, and it's telling about the rain of fish in Marksville. And this is where uh, I'm going to read a little excerpt from this, okay? Uh, for nearly 10 minutes, fresh fish fell from the sky over an area about 80 feet wide and almost a quarter of a mile in length. Hickory shad, I guess that's a fish, largemouth bass, black bass, sunfish, perch, and minnows bounced off of rooftops, pelting pedestrians, and even knocking a newspaper delivery boy off of his bike. There was no, there was no rain that day, according to the Louisiana Weather Bureau. Now there had been tornadoes the day before, but usually they say when this happens, it comes with huge thunderstorms and the fish fall at the same time that the thunderstorms happen. All right? Wait, usually? Yes, this fish falling out of the sky happens way more often uh, than you think, okay? So this, <laughs> this was happening so often that they had to, this is actually the United States Department of Interior Wildlife and Fisheries, yo, okay? This is yo! called the Rains of Fishes. I don't think they knew English, right? Shouldn't it just been Rain of Fish? Uh-uh, uh-uh, because it's several types of fish. Oh, oh. We're gonna, English teacher here, rains because there's more than one rain and fishes because there's more than one fishes. So this is, uh, the fishery report goes on to list a good, I don't know, seven other instances of fish and other wildlife falling out of the sky. Happened in Scotland, happened in Germany, all right? Also happened in uh, Cambridge, Maryland as well. Uh, South Dakota, it also happened. Uh, but here's what in this rains of fishes from the National Wildlife Service uh, has to say about, you know, what happened. I just keep thinking of Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. It's kind of like kind of like That's it. Fish are hurling through the glass. Okay. Chaos. So the fish were between two to nine inches long. Fell on the streets, roofs, houses. All right, we talked about that uh, delivery boy got hit by something. They said somebody else got hit by fish when he was walking to his business. They averaged on Main Street a fish every square yard. So just imagine a square yard around you, you got a fish on you. Like, was it, was it legit? Like, sweet, I don't have to go use a fishing pole. I can bring back dinner to the house. Or was it like nasty fish? It was good fish. Oh. Yeah, the lady said they were still flopping. Yeah. Ooh, if they still flopping, they're still eating. The fish were so fresh and frozen. Frozen? Frozen. Like cold and frozen to the touch. Huh? And so people were just grabbing them up 
and being like, hey, baby, we got dinner for days over here in Marksville. I've seen people from Louisiana eat more questionable stuff. So there you go. <laughs> so they got the fish, they grabbed them. Uh, and also they said the cats in Marksville <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. All right, so we'll the cat is uh, different. Okay, have you have you tried to even guess how this happens? I want I want to make up something ridiculous, like some commercial airliner lost its load. But I feel like it's got to be birds, right? This was this was reported in the 1700s and 1800s. I mean, this I feel like it's got to be a flock of birds who all caught at once and dropped at once. I'm thinking like Sharknado, like fish, tornado went in the water, took the fish out, dropped them everywhere. Sharknado. Yes. Yes. I changed my answer to Sharknado. <laughs> you I would, disregard science and I go for science fiction. You would be correct in saying Sharknado. All right. Cool. That's what science has said about why this happens, okay? Uh, very high gust of winds will pick up these fish out of lakes and streams or whatever, tornadoes, pick them up and throw them way, way, way up in the sky, all right? Uh, and Look at Cliff! During that storm, they'll fall, all right? And they would go up so high, they would become hail-like and frozen. This happens a lot with like little bitty minnows too, all right? But what Marksville was different, it occurred in short intervals, you know? And it was during a foggy day and calm weather. Again, the Louisiana Weather Bureau said there was no rain that day. And the velocity on the ground did not exceed over eight miles an hour. <laughs> there was no reports of updraft or anything. All they said was that the day before, they had small tornadoes in the area. so. It must have shot them way, way up in there, and sooner or so later. So those fish, they were flying in the clouds. Yeah. For like a day before. Fish are known to fly in the clouds. So are frogs, by the way. It happens with frogs. It also happens with earthworms. Believe it or not, earthworms are something else that get sucked up and fall down. You know what I don't hear are squirrels. Yeah, you know, squirrels, they got the trees. I mean, they're hanging but, on. Louisiana squirrels are so irritating. I wish they could be picked up in a cluster and thrown around. It's, it's kind of weird. Why wouldn't this happen more often, you think, during hurricanes? You know? I don't know. Maybe the weather is moving too violently mm -hmm. and they can't hover long enough to freeze and then fall as yeah. sustenance for the masses. Can you imagine being a cat and just seeing fish fall from the sky? <laughs> yeah, do you think if, if everyone's got a phone on a mouse, so if it happened, I mean, there would be videos everywhere. Right? Yeah. The whole thing with this, this COVID-19 is you can't see it. So you're like, yeah, I'm gonna go outside. But if you were going outside and there were fuck fish flying around, you'd be like, oh, we really gotta stay inside. <laughs> So you're saying we just need to throw at the houses of people who won't stay home? Yes. Don't go for their windows, go for their roof, dent their car, something that'll make a stick.
we taking a shot? Are we on to the next story? Cheers, guys. Cheers, cheers, cheers. All right, what are we, are we moving? It's all on you, Cliff. It's, it, it is. You and your palatial summer home. So here's a little snippet of what we're gonna talk about. That's it. Oh, I was just getting into that. Whoa, you know what? Keep your pants on because we got <laughs> who said we have pants on. That's that is so true. <laughs> In the lower part of New Orleans, known as a third district, a man named Don Juan Luis Angula, a native of Spain, he built a house called La Casa Rosa. And so this is, a, so this, that was when the house was built. 104 years later, a reporter from the Times, William Dawson, kept hearing things about this house. He's like, you know what? I'm just gonna, I, I'm in need for a story. I, I need something to spice up this newspaper. So I'm gonna go visit this house because he heard there was a lady there. Okay, so the lady's name is Senorita Mercedes Antonio Angola. So this was, Don Juan's daughter. So this is William Dawson's recollection of the visit. So he goes up to this iron gate that's in front of this house and he's ringing the bell, like an, an actual bell back and forth, ding, 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 and no one's answering the bell. Finally, what he calls an old creature, which I think is terrible to call an old person that, but he called an old person, <laughs> And this, this creature hobbled down the steps of the manor. Now, if it was me and I saw this, I'd immediately turn away. We're like, nah, that's it, I'll get another story. Uh, so the, the creature saw this young man, a, a sprite looking young man and said, I'm gonna let him in the house. So she let him in the gate. They walked up the steps. And as soon as they got inside the mansion, this old creature, locked the door shut, bolted it shut, and dropped a bar down. It sounds so like Hotel California. Right? No. I didn't want to play that though. Senorita sounded better. It does, it does. <laughs> so, so she says, my name's Amina. And what I'm trying to do, I'm not trying to let ghosts enter the mansion. Mansion, She says, we have to shut them out. They come a romping and a raving. She said, sometimes it's companies of them. At first, they trail right along before I can get the door bar. He said, are you telling the truth? Are you alone? And this guy's response was, I'm alone, auntie. I'm like, that sounds a little cocky. Like, yeah. What? So he's like, I'm here to see Mrs. Angula. I, you know, he's like, I'm not here to see you. And this time they're, they're at the bottom, they're on the first floor and he hears this, oh, oh. And he's like, what? <laughs> There's this. And so he's tell if that's supposed to be pain or pleasure. Right. So he's like, the hair's standing up on the back of my neck. My there's shivers down my spine. And it's this noise sounded like an animal that was caught in a trap. 
So the Zamina, the old creature, says, she laughs and goes, come on upstairs. Senorita can't get down no more. So he's, so basically, he's got to go upstairs to see this woman. And uh, Zamina says, I can still climb up, so follow me. So he goes and follows Zamina. And he says when he gets to the top of the stairs, it's ice cold. Really cold. Ghost time. And he says, there's a shout. Zamina, where are you? I feel a draft. Have you been opening the door? You know I'm afraid to have a door open. You haven't let anybody in, have you? I'll kill you if you have. You know I told you I'd kill you if you ever let anybody in. And Zamina says, yes, I know. There's a young man. He's come to pay his respects to you, ma'am. You don't want to miss conversifying with a nice young man, senorita. And so at this point, he walks up, Dawson walks up, and he finds what senorita looks like. And this is... <laughs> no! She looks like Lady Gaga? Yeah. No, it's <laughs> It's not really Lady Gaga, but that's something that I feel like Zamina would have looked like... I mean, I'm sorry, Senorita would look like when she was young. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right. But this is actually what... She was in a red, a red dress. So something like that, but again, this woman has been in this house. Remember, the dad built it in 1770, so this is the daughter. She's like Rapunzel stuck up there. Right. So he, so William Dawson's like, I don't know. He doesn't know how. <clears throat> Zamina basically tells him they're walking the stairs. She's like, this woman's 95 years old. Senorita's in a feather bed. She's in the bed. In and the bed. Her, and luxurious. Yeah. And this is his, this is her, what she looks like to William Dawson. He's got this yellow, leathery, wrinkled skin that looks like it's just tossed over bones. She's got a bulging vein in her forehead. Yeah, she's old and decrepit. She's got a bulging vein in her forehead. She's got a bald head and she only has white hair above her ear. No, it was just, it was probably just white ear hair. Oh, on her ears, there's a lady here. She's 95. Okay. Anyway, yeah, and she had a misshapen mouth with purple colored lips. So obviously health is not an issue. So that's what she looked like. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like in a, in her, her, her appearance. Now it's what her outfit, okay. She's wearing this red silk dress, but instead of nice silk, it was frayed. It had grease stains. She had a necklace of diamond and sapphires. She had bracelets with flashing stones. She had heavy diamond earrings. And on that bald head, she had a big old tiara. And on those rings, William said it looked like uh, the rings were tied on with dirty twine and the senorita would suck the twine like oh. he was talking to her he oh. nasty i don't want to he's like the perfume was overpowered he said it was disgusting mm. so, no no gross after he gets through all this like he, he just he's Get digging, I guess they're just, it's a staring contest. He's trying to figure her out. She's figuring him out. And, and she finally says, 
did you come about the jewels? And he's like, no, ma'am, I didn't come about any jewels. I came to talk to you about beautiful things like your garden and music and paintings. You know, I'm writing a story for the New Orleans Times. And she said, I've never talked to such things until now. I've no one to talk to, no one but Zamina, and she's a devil, which is, I think, terrible for the servant who's helping you out in your house, calling the devil. Yeah, so she, at this point, she said, it's called Rita Devil, and then she says, Zamina, go downstairs and tend to the dead man under the stairs who brought me fake jewelry. So William's like very confused at this point. And then, and then the senorita says, oh, Zamina, while you're at it, why don't you tell the Don about it too? Remember her dad, senorita's dad is Don Juan. Mm -hmm. At this time, Zamina mumbles to William and says, the Don's been dead for more than 70 years. The senorita, she forgets sometimes. <laughs> so at that point, if I was William, I'd be jumping out the window to get out this place. Mm -hmm. So Dawson sits there and he's talking to the senorita and the senorita is going on about all these men when she was, I don't know if she's thinking she was younger or still now because she's 95. So she just recollect all this stuff where men used to come from across the seas because you remember her, she's from Spain or her dad's from Spain. So all these men would come overseas from overseas and drink to the Don's health and try to court the senorita. One man, it was said, even poisoned his mom in Spain so he could take his mom's rubies to New Orleans to the senorita just so the senorita would wear it. And the senorita also said that these men, after they came and visited once, they'd come back again, but they never left. You sound like she got that power. Yeah. Right? Like she's taking the youth from something. <laughs> or someone. Either one. So Dawson's a little freaked out because he's like, oh, these men would return but never leave the house. So he's a young man. He's sitting next to the senorita. He's like, okay, what can I do? This perfume is awful. I've listened to this woman's story. Um, but the senorita said, I want you to stay for dinner. And afterwards, we're going to dance. She is 95. She wants to get grooving, you know what I mean? <laughs> wow. But Dawson knew it was just, it was all a lie because when she shrank, she shrank back into the feather bed, kind of like going to lay down, and he noticed that when her dress came up that her feet were bare so she had no shoes on and he saw those janky ass feet and he said uh -huh. hasn't walked for years and so she started she fell asleep she's 95 she's like i went to take a nap so now dawson knows that it's zamina's downstairs senorita's asleep he knows that there's only two people in this house so he's like, all right, well, I'm a reporter. I'm gonna go explore. I'm gonna go figure out what's, what's, what's around the house. So he's exploring. I think he, he, he explored about two rooms. He saw a bunch of stuff and he came back and he heard a sound at the foot of the stairs. So he's like, crap, that's Samina. She's gonna come find me. So he goes in the other direction. And they didn't really tell you how big this house was. I'm just assuming it's, uh, think of like a massive haunted mansion, who knows? It, 
could be uh, illusions that you're walking around ever. So who knows? Right. So he's like walking the other way from Zamina. She's trying to come upstairs. As he rounds the corner, he meets a young man who's wearing clothes from another period of time. And the young man smiles at him. He's like, wait, they're only supposed, they're supposed to be the only two in the house. Now I'm running into a young man. And the young man sticks his hand out to go shake his hand, to shake Dawson's hand. And Dawson goes to shake this guy's hand. They meet hands. And as soon as that happens, there's this tight steel grip and Dawson can't get it out. And this guy is starting to drag Dawson. The young man brings him up a staircase and he sees this man striding back and forth with a smashed head. So it's just a body going back and forth with a smashed head. And then he reaches another staircase and there's a young man whose shirt was just drenched in blood. White, his face was white as chalk and he had dark eyes. What is and happening in this house? Look, I'm just, look, it's, this is true. <laughs> okay, so, definitely not. So <laughs> another door opened when he was out there being dragged around and a young man came out with a handful of rubies that looked like drops of cold blood. And he said, suddenly all these men mashed in together as one slimy, stinky blob. I'm thinking like Slimer, but not green. This thing started oozing down the stairs with sounds of crackling bones. Ugh. Teeth were flying out of this thing. No. No. So no. Dawson's like, screw this. I gotta get out of here. And so he basically darts around this blob and he's trying to find his way out the house. He has no idea. Every, every corner he turns, he's seeing these uh, men, these young men in different clothing, uh, all these periods of time before he was born. He has no idea what's going on. Somehow he makes it to the front door and Zamina's standing right there at the front door. And Zamina starts shaking her fist at him and says, you done let him in. You told me nothing, but you done let him in. They're running up and down the stairs like crazy wildcats. He said, <laughs> she said, you done let him in. So remember at the beginning, she was saying, we got to close the door. You're going to let the ghosts in. Right, 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 yeah. right. So she's, so at this point, there's, a, I don't know if it was that hard to juke Zamina. I mean, she was like 80 something years old. So Dawson kind of juked his way out. He darted out the front door and down the steps and he got, in, he got in front of the gate, but the gate was locked. And Zamina was the only one with the key. So at this point, Dawson's exhausted. He doesn't know what to do. And he's looking up at this iron gate and he's like, maybe I could scale this wall. I don't know. And then, <laughs> as he's looking up, he, look, he looks up and then he looks down to his right and there's this young man who dragged him around the house. And the young man basically breaks the lock and opens the gate so Dawson can run out of it. He was saved by a ghost? Yeah. Crazy. This is like a real... I know. ...who's written this story? No. Wait, this guy was a journalist, right? Going to look for a story. Yeah, going to look for a story. So, after that, 
But then the next year, Senorita passed and the mansion was sold to new owners. And when they, the new owners were looking uh, to remove this old wall that was in the garden of the mansion. And because it was just old, they're like, get it out of here, we want to put something. So when the workers removed it, they found the skeletons of more than 50 men wearing old fashioned clothing. Ugh. And remember how I told you that one of the men who poisoned his mom to steal the rubies? There he was in the ground, holding the bag of rubies in his hand. Oh. Y'all hear that thunder like a rattle? Oh, did you hear the thunder roll just now? It, it, I told mother nature to just- It was do- a point of emphasis where mother nature said, yes, someone has finally ascertained the crime that was actually committed. I couldn't, I couldn't get Garth Brooks, so I got mother nature. What's funny about your story, Cliff, is that uh, you know, Doomsday, the guy who kills Superman, right? He is yeah. a collection of people and their bones and joints and blood and whatever. So like, it makes, like it's kind of in the same yeah. vein of creating this creature or thing or being, but thankfully the that- universal character. Mm-hmm. No, I'm I'm just glad I live now and I don't have to experience that because I live in a house that's that was built in the ni- early 1900s and every time I read a ghost story like that I I'm not gonna sleep tonight. It's not a big deal because uh, I you know the thunders the thunders rolling. Um, I'll be up just uh, wide eyed just staring for ghosts at the stairs. That's pretty much what I'm doing. <laughs> so I hope you all enjoyed that. That was. Gonna- you definitely, I liked it. Definitely, that was nice. definitely, and from what you say, this is a, a um, ho- you know, hopefully he wasn't a part of the fake news generation, but you know, uh, this guy was a journalist. I mean, we we trust him, right? He tells a story. He this was like a movie. Yeah, he was the first account of fake journalism, if you can believe it. You don't, you don't believe fake journalism. I feel like that's been around for a long time. So you don't read it, is what you're saying? Who's gonna fact check him, right? I mean, nobody. That doesn't mean it's not fake. It's very elaborate. You can't just say this woman was this something skin with a bald head and tiara, and she was wearing this dress with. Gr- I mean, the guy was paying attention. Because he really, I mean, I think when he saw her, he was like, I made the wrong decision. I should go find a story somewhere else. Mm-hmm. By the way, I can't breathe because this perfume is clogging up my lungs. I think that I've made that same mistake a Saturday night Tigerland. You know what I'm saying? Ooh. <laughs> like, I have been that mistake in Tigerland. Are you kidding me? Oh. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to take a shot for the mistakes in Tigerland. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. Always, always. I think that this has been uh, the most real and raw version of the Brax podcast that you could ever be a part of. And we showed our face. 
and this is us and this is cliff's beard yeah it's all the beard uh knox has a beard sometimes i would no. say the time i see him it's there and the other half i've seen him after he shaved it and he was like i don't know i just needed to get rid of it you gotta mix it up you gotta mix it up that's what we do with brax podcast we'll see you next tuesday see you next tuesday <laughs> Um, also, wait before we leave. After we see, before you see you next Tuesday again, you can find us on Instagram at the braggish underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, the braggish podcast Facebook page. If you're watching, then you would know exactly how you're finding it. Uh, Spotify, Google Play, Radio.com, and Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Done. We need to go. She needs to go put get some stones in her hand. <laughs> I just I got some vodka in my nose. Oh my gosh! All right, well, we'll see you next Tuesday. Take see care. You next Tuesday. Bye.